My guest today is Patrick Campbell. So Patrick is the founder of ProfitWell. ProfitWell is a business intelligence platform helping more than 8,000 subscription companies reduce churn, optimize their pricing, and grow their subscription business end-to-end. Patrick is an economist by training. Before starting his company in 2012, he worked in data and strategy at Google and Gemvara in Boston. Patrick, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, awesome to be here. Talk about research, all kinds of fun stuff today. Excited. Yeah, yeah. So ProfitWall is a really interesting story. Uh, It started out Bootstrap, providing services, helping businesses with their pricing strategies. But the vision was always to be a product company, from what I understood. So how were you going about figuring out what the product should be initially? Yeah, so this is one of the biggest misconceptions about our company, and it's kind of our fault if it's a misconception, right? Uh, and so we uh, we we actually ended up um, starting off as a pure product company. Um, so we had this piece of software that we started off with um, that did um, essentially pricing research. So you okay. build these surveys and you send it out, um, and then what we discovered is is basically people they liked the data um, and they liked the output. They didn't want to do the work to get the output and they didn't want to, uh, how do I put it? They didn't, they didn't, they didn't want to make decisions without talking to a human. So they wanted like services and things like that on top of it. And we were like, Oh, that's dumb. Like we don't want to do that. And then it was like, well, no, you know, we'll pay you money. And we're like, Oh, okay. (laughs) You know? So it was one of those things that kind of, you know, worked out in a good way. And then, um, you know, we, we, when we were doing our research, we wanted a better way to get data um, than just surveys. And so we, we started building other products and things like that. And that's what came about with uh, ProfitWell Metrics. And now we have a whole suite of, of products out there. So, so at what point did you guys start thinking about adding multiple products? Like, was it the, uh, what made you think that this was the right strategy? So, um, yeah, it's a good question. I think it, it really just came down to the math and, and just the velocity. So what I mean by that is um, we realized very quickly that our, our TAM, um, our total addressable market from a logo perspective was actually quite small. There's only, um, you know, depending on how you measure it, about 150,000, maybe only 100,000 subscription companies. And when you cut that by SaaS, you know, mainly the B2B SaaS market, then all of a sudden you're talking about 20 to 30,000 companies, which is not a lot um, from a market perspective. And so, you know, the advantage of that market is the, the revenue on all these businesses is growing exponentially, right? It's compounding as the world of subscriptions and recurrent revenue does, which is, which is our market. And so we looked at it and we said, okay, well, to be a you know, $100 million company, a billion dollar company, you know, we can't sell $50 a month products, you know, to a lot of people, right? We have to sell like higher price. So we needed high LTV and the best way to get a high LTV um, is through good pricing and good monetization as well as um, good retention, obviously. But then, you know, the way that you increase that ARPU or that LT- or ACV even further, um, the average revenue per user or the average or the you know, contract value is basically by adding more products, right? Um, and so it kind of created this thesis of being multi-product and, and we've taken this on really early in our life cycle. Um, okay. Most companies don't take this on until they're a hundred million dollar company and we're, we're a $10 million company. So it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating. But so, so how did the opportunities for profitable metrics retain and recognize uh, come about? Like how much effort did you guys put into finding the next product opportunity? Say that one more time. You cut out just a little bit there. Uh, so how did the opportunities for profitable metrics retain and recognize come about? Like how did you guys stumble yes. on these opportunities specifically? Yeah. So the, the metrics product, um, actually, so, so like I kind of said before, we were looking for a product that we could, 
So, so survey data is amazing. A lot of people misunderstand survey data. They don't know like how to clean data properly and, and like we're terrible as human beings or as operators at sending surveys, but the people who are really good at it and they realize like how much power is there. The issue that we were having is it's, it, it's a higher cost way to get data. And so we were thinking, well, there, there were two things. Like one, we were thinking, well, how do we get the data we need at a lower cost. And what that became was, well, what if we had access to their financial or their financial data, or what if we created personas? And I was like, well, then we would need financial data, probably top of the funnel data, engagement data. Ooh, all of a sudden that's starting to become, you know, really, really, um, really complicated. Right. And then it's like, um, okay, well, uh, how do we get that data in a better way? Well, we're always going to have to start with financial metrics, right? So that was kind of a little bit of a thesis that we were having. And then all of a sudden we were helping a company that was about to IPO with their pricing. And we discovered that they were basically calculating MRR and churn completely incorrectly. Like okay. it was a yeah. company that was about to be public. And so we kind of started putting two together and we were like, oh, well, we have multiple things that are showing showing um, us like that this is something that we should go into. And that's when we jumped into profile metrics. And then everything else was like very much like the flow of information and the flow of like resistance, right? Um, which was like, oh, like, yeah, this is, this, is, this is not good, let's solve it. Or, hey, we're right next to being able to solve this, let's do that. Or this is what, you know, our customers are screaming, you know, all types of things. So one opportunity came out of the previous and then the previous and then, it was a subsequence uh, of different opportunities that came out from the other previous. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. And how much effort do you guys put into finding what the next opportunity or next product opportunity should be? I'll say like how, how say much effort do you guys put into uh, figuring out what the next opportunity should, should be for uh, a new product? Um, so, yeah, that's a really great question. It's really hard to quantify effort, right? <laughs> if it was physics. If it was physics, it'd be a lot easier, right? So I think um, uh, it's sorry. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to quantify just because, like, you know, you, you're always like rationalizing why you're doing things, right? And so you're like, well, of course, of course, we put a lot of effort into it because we just rationalize why we're doing it. It's like, well, hold on a second. No, maybe we didn't put that much work into it. So I think for us, it's like the effort, the flow starts with a thesis, right? And it's like, hey, I have this thesis and that thesis is probably based on um, something that someone said or like some feedback that we got or someone we really trust, like being like, oh, you guys should totally do this or something like that. And then what ends up happening is is our, our CPO, um, our head of product and I, we then just start debating. We're like, oh, we should do this or we shouldn't do this or we shouldn't do that, right? And so there's a lot of effort that actually goes there and it's it's very much... Uh, qualitative. And yes, there's some quantitative aspects that, you know, we go through like with this of like, Hey, well, why would we go into that space? Well, let's look at the size of the space. Well, this, you know, these three articles say the size of the space is this, like that makes sense or that handles that objection. So there's a lot of, a lot of debate that goes on. And I think that a lot of companies, this is where they, they, they like should start, but they don't because it's uncomfortable to debate. And we've created a pretty big, um, you know, culture of debate and feedback. Then what we end up doing is let's say we're like, cool, we're, we're going to go after it. Then we write a narrative, which is basically like a, um, a memo of sorts where okay. we just go through, um, it, we just go through like X, Y, and Z of like, this is the logic behind it. And then what we end up doing is if the logic makes sense and we send it to like another group of people internally, 
we then go and um, we then start doing market research. Now this market research will probably start with just qualitative interviews. Hey, how are you doing this right now? Um, you know, what does this look like? Kind of like being a prosecuting attorney. Like you're not asking them directly, do you want this? Right. And I think that's another problem is people don't do the narrative. They don't do the debating. And then they just go out and be like, Hey, do you want this? And then what you're doing is you're just, you're just doing the path of least resistance, which is, well, I'm just going to build the thing that someone says. And it's like, yeah, but there might be one person. They might not be articulating things properly. Like you have to be that, you know, that researcher um, to basically dig into it. And then after those conversations, we'll start to have like a clear thesis on like some of the, the details of what we're doing. And then we'll do some quantitative research, which is, you know, sending out some surveys um, to your customer base and then like disregarding certain people's answers if they're, you know, hey, we know this isn't going to be a startup product. This is for big dogs. So we have to like get big dog, you know, data and things like that. Um, and then, you know, what ends up happening is, and then there's this iteration cycle, right? So we've decided on this big thing that we're going to go after. And now there's just constant iterations and those iterations have their own research cycles um, and their own debates and things like that. So like right now for our retained product, which is a churn reduction product, you know, we did those big debates and the big narrative like years ago at this point. Now it's like, hey, should we go into this part of the market or should we add this feature? And so those cycles are shorter because the overarching thesis has been thought through and now it's just more detail work, um, even if it's a big feature or something like that. So hopefully that's helpful. I mean, that's, that's kind of the process that we follow and it probably isn't as linear as I'm, I'm saying. Um, it's probably all over the place and in some cases as, the, as is the case when you're building something. No, no, it's great. So, so is there like an overarching persona or like a profile that you're specifically targeting across these opportunities? Like what's, is there like a uni, unifying thread behind this, uh, these opportunities in terms of like the targeting or the market that you guys are going after? Like you mentioned SaaS, yeah. but like within, within SaaS well, itself? Yeah, so we go after, we're, we're, we're subscriptions uh, targeting. So that's not just SaaS, yeah. um, it's uh, D2C or direct-to-consumer which includes uh, subscription e-commerce, subscription media, um, subscription nonprofits, all kinds of stuff. Um, and so I think that the big thing to kind of think through for us has been, um, multiple products means you typically will have multiple personas, but maybe the same company you're targeting. So this has made it complicated and, and we admittedly have not figured out all of this from a go-to-market perspective or even a product perspective, because you can't just spin up four teams for four products, right? Like this is yeah. just not how it should work, especially when you're, you know, we're a bootstrapped or a customer funded company of, of about 80 folks. Um, and we have like four different products, right? So like, that's a lot to like, you know, a lot of surface area. And so you have to, you know, probably you're probably going to deprioritize a product um, on some level, and then you have to come up with some framework of your targeting. Now from a go to market perspective, um, they're all subscription companies and we, we tend to target companies that are doing um, tens of millions, um, if not more of revenue. Yeah. Um, but we get a lot because we have a free product. We get a ton of startups and we love them and, and they we like them and they like us. And they're getting a ton of value. But because of that LTV problem that I was describing, like we need to go after like more upmarket companies. And then each product has different personas. So um, on the price intelligently product that typically is targeting marketing and product folks um, and normally the head of product or the head of marketing, unless it's like a hundred million dollar plus company, then it might be like a director of some sort. Um, you know, retain product is customer successor product. Um, and then our recognized product is very, very much um, uh, the CFO or the, or, or there's not really chief accounting officers, but, but a lead accountant at a, at a company. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting too, because we use the, the free product as um, basically a signal. So yeah. depending on who comes in, 
um, you know, cause it might be the founder. Well, if it's a founder at a smaller company, um, we'll go at them with a certain product, right? Probably retain. If it's a founder at a larger company, we'll probably like do an enterprise type deal where we try to sell them a suite. But if it's customer success or CFO or something like that, we'll lead with like those different products, uh, mainly because those are the ones that they're, you know, they're most interested in. Hmm. So, so in a way, the, the free product helps qualify a certain set of uh, prospects and then the behavior within the free product will help or the people that sign up will help you qualify what the next step should be. Yeah, hundred percent. So basically the idea, and, and it's, it, that sounds really elegant and smooth. It's not that elegant and smooth. Um, so it's just one of those things that it's like, you know, there needs to be a lot of, uh, a lot of adjustments depending on how things, how things go forward. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, it's, it, it's at least like that's, that's, those are the, not only the constraints, but the, those are the, the, the playing field or the framework that we're working with, which, you know, allows our team to kind of work within it. So, so you mentioned before like that a lot of times businesses will start thinking about a multi-product strategy later on. You guys did it a bit earlier. So when do you think is the right time to start thinking about that specifically? Like you guys did it earlier. There's, there's specific reasons for that. But when do you think for other business, when should they start thinking about uh, expanding their product line? Uh, so when do we start thinking about expanding it? Uh, um, when, when should a business start thinking about that? Like what are the uh, got it. criteria, I guess? Um, as late as humanly possible. No, uh, <laughs> okay. just because of our pain. No, no, I think that our, yeah, it's a good question. I think the mental, the mental model there is more around, um, like if you're seeing, if you were seeing like crazy traction on one product, like, like I think you need predictable growth for one product before you move on to the next product. And that's the thing where you have infinite optionality and so what's, what's really, and this is the classic product advice is, hey, you need to say no more often than you say yes, right? Um, and so much more, like 99 no's to one yes, right? And I think what ends up happening is, you know, we, we can even get a little bit too like, oh yeah, we could build that, we could build that because we have, you know, 20% of the entire subscription market using ProfitWell. And so it's one of those things where it's like, well, you have 20% of any market, there's just infinite possibilities of what you could build to monetize that market, right? And so I think for most folks, it's, you got to have predictable growth in one area and then the market's going to pull you. And I know that feels like fluffy, but the market's going to pull you into a direction of like, Hey, this is what makes sense. Or this is not what makes sense. And I think that that's, that's kind of the structure of, of how to like, you know, think through things. Um, and you know, your measurement of the market pulling you is going to be, um, you know, it's going to be different depending on the vertical and the company. Hmm. So, so when you guys start looking into like a new opportunity, how do you, how do you start thinking about pricing when it comes to the new products? Like I, from what I understood, they have different, the different products you have of different value metrics and different, different, uh, not business models, but different, different ways of charging specifically. Like how do you, when you guys start thinking about that? Like how do you guys start thinking about the pricing? Yeah. So our, our directive is, so we basically have this spectrum um, and this spectrum came about in just thinking through like the analytics space. Um, so there's a spectrum of data analytics, insights, outcomes, right? So the only reason you want data is to solve an outcome. The only reason you want analytics is to help you solve an outcome. The only reason you want insights is to help solve an outcome, right? So everything leads to this outcome and it could be reducing churn, improving ARPU, it could be a whole host of things, right? 
And so our thesis was, okay, anything that's just data or analytics, we're probably going to not charge for, right? Like that's where we're going to have freemium. Anything that's insights or outcomes, we're going to be driving towards an outcome. The only reason we have those insights is to get towards the outcome, but we're going to try to charge based on the outcome as close as humanly possible. And so what we've, what's kind of held us back from building certain products has been, oh, there's no effective way to charge based on an outcome. So for example, like, you know, we want to come up with this, um, you know, there, there's certain retention aspects or retention products that we wanted to build and we're probably going to build them, but we're going to include them basically in the retained products rather than spinning them into something else because it's like, Hey, we, we can't charge in a clean way that isn't tied towards that outcome. But if we put it into retain, we can still charge based on that outcome. And yeah, maybe we're not like, monetizing that feature as effectively as we could, but we're monetizing the entire product. And so our price intelligently product, like that's morphing into um, a, a, like a pure software product um, or a, a lighter service product, um, you know, at some point in the next couple of years, because we're not, we now have a clean thesis on, Hey, this is how we could charge based on outcome, you know, for a pricing product. Right. And so that's what really, really drives us. And I think that when you have some initial traction and you're moving, this is how you should think about, you know, your pricing is, or your products, like, Hey, is there a way that I can charge effectively to increase my overall ACV or ARPU? I think this is the reason why we gave away ProfitWell for free. The metrics product was one because um, metrics products are terribly difficult to monetize. Um, they all go up market. Um, they all start out saying, Hey, we're going to be like the democratization of this type of metric. And it's like, Nope, we're going to fortune 500 because uh, people just don't appreciate metrics and analytics products as much as they should. And, you know, we've tried to change that, but it just doesn't, it doesn't work. That's just how people are hard coded. And so it's, it's a gateway for us. And the only reason it's a gateway is because from a unit economic perspective, as well as from a network effect perspective, um, not only for a network effect of the data feeding our algorithms, but also the network effect of people like referring other people to use the product, um, that just kind of worked out, right? And so I think that that's, um, that's been the big thing that we've kind of focused on is like, how, how do we charge for products that, you know, basically make people more money? And that's like the central thesis. So each of your products, the products that you're charging for, have uh, a specific outcomes that 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 uh, people are buying for. So like the re like retain, for example, is uh, churn reduction, and all the other products. So the the way you kind of segment these products as well is based on uh, the the actual outcome that's coming out of the products. Yeah, that's the goal. Now we are not in a perfect place because we have some 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 pricing debt, we'll call it. So okay. ironically, our price intelligently product, the way that it's set up, um, we don't we we can't charge purely based on outcome. Now we have a plan, like we have this ROI plan that people can can pay for, but what ends up happening is like it gets really complicated when you're selling to an enterprise company, right? We're selling to like a giant, you know, Autodesk or something like that. Like they need a little bit more predictability and they can't handle the ambiguity of, you know, the, the type of pricing that we would come up with. Now we're working on basically a new product coming down the pipe where we would be able to do that. Um, now that's going to be some time though. So, but we have this debt where it's like not a perfect thesis yet, but it's something that we are, we are basically guiding ourselves towards. Okay. Okay. So once you have like these products, uh, how do you figure out what the value metric should be for these, these, like you see, it's, it's tied to the outcome, I assume. Uh, for the new products. 
yeah, for well, either for the new products or the products that you had and and you created in the past. Yeah, so that, that that's what we're trying to do. So all new products, we're trying to get as close to outcome as possible. Now, some of them might still be in the insights like world, um, which isn't necessarily. So that's where price intelligently is. Like, hey, we've done this research. We have these insights. We have this data um, or this these insights that tell you that you should do X, and that's what's going to help you improve that that ARPU or that ACV, right? So it's basically like one degree away from that outcome, or two. I guess one degree, two degree. I don't know how the degree the, the <laughs> degree necessarily work, but it's like basically right next to that outcome. Hmm. Um, so we're okay with that for now. Um, but basically, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get all of our products into a world of outcomes, which you know, might not be possible like right now, but it will be possible as we kind of advance in the future. Okay. Okay. So when you're working on, on the city pricing model for retain or another product, like how do you go about creating the segmentation for your pricing strategy? Uh, so for us, um, like which, which axis of segmentation are you referring to? I just want to make sure I understand. I think that's part of the question. So how do you figure out like which axis of segmentation are important for a specific product versus another one. Got it. So when you're referring to segmentation, are you, are you referring to like verticals, these types of things or like types of personas? I just want to make sure I understand because there's segmentation uh, I, I can take that way or yeah. packaging segmentation. I think, I think that's or, also the question is like, which, um, which dimensions are you looking at specifically? And like, how do you, how do you figure out which dimensions matter for that specific product? Yeah. So, Okay. <laughs> I'm going to answer based on my interpretation of segmentation. Yeah. Cause segmentation gets tough because most people, when they refer to it, it's like, you know, which, which aspect of the customer or the, the segment of the base that you have. Um, so for us, it's, um, we, when we're doing research, um, and we're putting together our pricing specifically for some, most of our products, um, we just go back to those, those ideal customer profiles that we've set out. And we, we really focus on like the data and the information that's coming from those target folks. So for example, on the pricing side, we will wait data or we will wait information for customers that come from um, those companies that are doing 75 million or more in revenue uh, per year versus those who are doing less than that, right? Because we're, we're pushing ourselves to like continue to go up market. Now, in terms of like, you know, the, the segmentation of when a deal comes in, um, we typically price um, also along that axis on some level. Um, so we have a couple of different levers within our price intelligently pricing. One is like the size of the company. And that's very much like, you know, pure segmentation based where it's like, hey, if they're above this threshold, the, the price is different than it's below this threshold. And that's basically just because the value that they're getting, even if it's the same level of work, um, is, is very different, right? If I improve, you know, ARPU for a hundred million dollar company by 30% and I improve a startup by 30%, um, that, that hundred million dollar company is going to see those gains in a much, much quicker way. Um, and also a much more dramatic way. So that's kind of how we, we weight things there. Um, what's kind of beautiful with the retained product is the segmentation is just built into the value metrics. So we charge based on recovered revenue. So, you know, if you're a, a large company, you have a lot of failed payments and the price is then going to be higher because it's recovered revenue versus a smaller company um, where you might have a lot of failed payments. And so the effective percentage we take um, based on, on revenue, and we don't charge based on percentage, we charge based on, um, we have some tiers that basically backs into based on how much we recover. But either way, like that allows us to, um, you know, basically 
get as close to pure value as humanly possible. And yeah, we we're pretty proud of, you know, the elegance of that pricing model because it's, it's pure ROI. Um, you know, if, if they don't make any money, it's, it's $0. Um, it doesn't cost you anything. And if we make you a ton of money, um, we take, you know, a good amount of money, but it's nowhere near the amount of money we made you. Hmm. But so, so on, in that sense, like so the, the segmentation that you guys have is based on, so you have an overarching, hierarchy of the market that you guys are looking at and the products um, matter to different types of audience and different types of segments that you guys have different ideal customer profiles within uh, in relation to that specifically. Yeah. So from that perspective, yeah, exactly. So we have um, depending on the product, we have different segments that we target and then our pricing model shifts um, depending on who actually comes in. Right. So, um, you know, on our inbound side on, on the lead to demo t- or our, our ops team. So the, the, you know, they're not BDRs, we don't have BDRs, but they're like BDR equivalents. Um, they are only taking certain, or they're only going after folks outbound who are of a certain size or of a certain caliber, but they'll take inbound from, different types of groups as well. So it's, it's, it's structured based on those segments coming in, but that's, you know, that's the nature of a value metric is that it can kind of save you a little bit from having to overthink segmentation. Okay. Okay. So in that sense, that also helps you guys um, minimize a little bit the uh, diffuseness of having multiple products where you guys are targeting the same profiles, uh, but approaching them with a set of products that uh, cater to their realities. Yeah, it gets tough. It just gets tough because like, again, there's a lot of surface area, but yeah, the long and short of it is we are, um, you know, we are, we're trying to make somewhat of the path of least resistance for folks coming in. Um, and we don't want to, you know, obviously get it wrong when they come in just because they might not, uh, they may not, you know, we, we don't want to confuse the sales process if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually a very good strategy. Like if you, I don't know if you've read Lost and Founder by uh, Rand Fishkin. Yeah, Fred Rand. Yeah. yeah. Well, so he talks about how the multi-product strategy that they had actually confused there because they had different personas, different targets, and the products didn't overlap that much. I think you guys have a, a structure that kind of makes it more consistent, which is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, which works out well. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's it's just super hard um, with whenever you add multiple, you know, multiple pieces to, to a situation. And that's kind of what we've done. What, what do you feel are the, uh, the, 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 the pros and the cons of having uh, like a multiple product strategy? Um, cons we've talked a lot about, so I'll summarize them. I mean, it's, it's, you got a lot more surface area for limited resources, right? And there's, there's definitely an argument not to do it because you have, again, if, if you were targeting, if we were targeting different types of like companies, um, and different types of buyers, like I don't, I think it would be a very dumb decision. And we've maybe it's still a dumb decision, but we've tried to we've convinced <laughs> ourselves it's a smart decision because we're going after the same companies, and we have this like hub and spoke model where they can come in through the hub, which is profile metrics, or they can come in from one of the spokes, which is our different paid products. Now, what's super interesting is on the pro side, um, we get multiple uh, bites at the apple, as they say, or I might be using the metaphor incorrectly, where let's say someone, you know, someone stalls on the retained side of the house, right? 
um, you know, the customer success person, they're really busy or he or she just like is interested for some reason, we can go at them for the price intelligent product, right? And that customer success person may or may not even be involved in that process, right? And so there's a little bit of a swarming aspect where when one path fails, another path can be successful, you know, over time. I think that the other, the other pro is, is that we, and this might be just rationalization of a bad idea, but we don't have to necessarily be as targeted with some of our marketing strategies because there's a little bit of a pick your own adventure because people can kind of come in and see what's going on. But the con there is that, you know, our, our homepage is a little generic, right? It's a little bit hard to understand exactly like what we do from the hero, right? It's not just like we do this, we help with this, right? It's like, we have a suite of products that help with this nebulous thing, right? This outcome-centered products, right? And it's like, what does that mean? Well, you have to read a little bit more to understand, right? And so the goal is we have to be so good at our marketing and so good at our content that people are willing to read that whole page, right? If they can read the whole page, we can get them. If they don't read the whole page, then it's really complicated, right? So I think that there's, you know, those are some of the pros, some of the cons. I think it's, you know, it's something that we're constantly, like literally every quarter, we're like on some level debating, like, how should we focus all on this thing right now? Should we, you know, should we do this? And we always kind of talk our way out of it. Um, but yeah, it's something that's, you know, something that's super interesting. So how would you assess a product that would be too far off the platform that you guys have created? Like, would you say, for example, a product that is for acquisition or something else like that? Is there like a, something that would tell you that this is, this is too far off or, uh, what do we currently have? Yeah, I think that it really comes down to, so it's, it's less about the space. So we believe that we will, you know, we'll have an acquisition product at some point. Um, and it's more about what is it that we can do that no one else can do better, okay. right? Or what makes us unique in doing it? So one thing that we thought about is like, oh, let's build an NPS product because it'd be really useful to have NPS inside Profilo, um, you know, so you can segment your data by NPS. But then we're like, eh, like what are we going to do that's anything different than every other NPS product that's out there? And, and we have some ideas of how we could do this in a unique way because, you know, price intelligently software is, is survey based. And so there's some things we've learned there, but we're probably not going to make like a four to five X, let alone a 10 X product in that space. Right. So it's like, eh, let's just integrate with people and people can use whatever they're using right now. And then, yeah, maybe we offer up a, a version of it because a really basic product there, but yeah, it doesn't probably doesn't make sense for us to build that. Right. So it's, it really kind of comes down to like that, you, that uniqueness factor. Like what can we do that someone else can't? Well, right now with retain our data set allows us to basically be the best in the world at recovering failed payments because we're sitting on more failed payment data than anyone else. Right. Mm. Um, and data is, you know, is the fuel for those algorithms. Now, you know, that, that, is kind of expanding now to active churn as well. Like we're not going to be a gain site. We're not going to be anything like that, but we might be like a product complement um, to the gain sites of the world and those types of things. So yeah, I think long story short, it really comes down to, you know, that thesis of how are we better than, you know, how would, how can we be better than anyone else who would be building this? Um, and that's, you know, it's not always obvious. And so there's, there's definitely debate that goes into that. So in a way it's kind of looking at what your current platform enables find a way where you could expand in the most uh, strategically sound way to be able to address uh, in a unique way other outcomes. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we're going, so for giving you an example, so like we're going deeper and deeper into revenue operations, which is this new, newfangled term, which is basically the combination of sales, marketing, and customer success operations under one roof. And um, what we're finding is, is that, you know, we're, we, we thought the cleaning of data and getting accurate financial data was going to be, um, you know, something that, yeah, is hard, but everyone was going to be able to do. Well, it turns out like we've been in this game now for like six years and we're still miles ahead of our competition and other people in terms of like accuracy. And so it's like, okay, well, if that's the case, like maybe this is a lot harder than we thought. And so, you know, as we go deeper into revenue operations, it's like, okay, well, we can create products that help with revenue operations that are like, you know, we're uniquely qualified to solve around, you know, accurate data and things like that. And so that's kind of how we think about it. I think that there's, you know, there's a world where you still have to say no to some of those ideas. But right now that's, that's, that's the guiding light for a lot of the ideas that we have. Because a lot of the ideas we have, it's all of a sudden like we ask that question and then poof, that idea goes away <laughs> because we're like, eh, there's nothing that we can do, um, you know, that is going to solve for this. No, it's definitely a super interesting approach. I, I'll, I like, in a way, how contrarian it is to a lot of the uh, thinking in startups right right now. Um, how would you, maybe last question, like, how would you, if you were starting over today, like, how would you approach uh, figuring out what your opportunity should be? Say that one more time. Like, if you were starting all over, all over today, like, you were uh, able to start anything, any kind of business in the current uh in the current, current space, like how would you go about figuring out what your opportunity is? Yeah. So what from the scratch. approach is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. From scratch. Um, <clears throat> Sorry for the challenging question. question. Yeah. No, it's hard. You ask really good questions because they're, they're not obvious answers. I think that um, here, here's what I think on approach. I feel as if most companies, they do this a little bit backwards you know, product market fit was a really good concept when product was really difficult to build. Now, creating a great product is still and always will be really difficult because it's like creating a great piece of art or a great, you know, math theorem or like a great, like, you know, chemistry innovation or something like that. Like it, it it's always going to be hard to do great. But I think the barrier to entry is so low right now where all of us can just basically build a product, you know, very quickly, right? We can spin up a server and all those things that we take for granted of being able to just grab a website off of Squarespace or doing XYZ. Like those things were so hard 20 years ago. <laughs> like it took so much effort and so much money to like do those things. And I think so now like product market fit made sense because, hey, if you could build this innovation, there weren't a lot of features and like functionality out there. So you could just go find this market, right? You have the product. Now I got to go find the market. And I think that really we're in a, we're in a world of market, right? And so like Belfour, um, Brian Belfour, a good friend of mine who's, you know, runs Reforge right now um, and used to be former growth or leader of growth over at HubSpot. He basically, you know, started, you know, talking about like, it's really market product fit. Like what is the market you're going to go into? And then gleaning from that market, um, you know, what makes the most sense to build for that market, right? And I think that what you need to do in terms of approach, if we were starting over, I would, you know, I would think about the market and then there's a bunch of questions, right? Well, if the market's so astronomically big, there's probably people in it already. So what makes you different? If the market's small but growing, um, 
what's the thing that can make you unique now, but also helps you ride the wave of the market. Um, and just really going deep on what that market is and then kind of thinking through like what you build. And so I really like what DC David Cancel did at Drift where, mm. you know, the first year and a half, two years, they built like four or five different products to, to chase like different markets. And it was all in the name of research. And then they said, oh, this is the space we're in. We're going into this space. And then they went all in, right? And so it's less of, I think right now, I guess to put it in more practical terms, there's too many people going, oh, cool, I can create this cool thing. And then they go all in on this cool thing they just created. Not enough people who are like, hey, let me research this cool market. And then based on that, I'm going to go all in on it. Um, and it's just because like research isn't as sexy as like pushing code, right? <laughs> um, the problem is, is that research helps you understand what code you should push. Um, and enough, not enough people realize that. But in, in that case, like, how would you define that, that market? Which one? Drift like, like, or well, just in general? Well, yeah, maybe Drift is an example of that, but like, like it, because the market could be like, for example, like pharmaceuticals or it could be like a segment within, within that market. Like, how would you, like, would you start oh, with the market? A, that's a whole podcast. That's a whole podcast <laughs> probably, right? Uh, yeah. So I think that, you know, how do you define that market? I mean, that's, that's where you have to go into research mode, right? And again, it's going to start with an inkling of an idea. Right. Or it might start with like, I mean, I know some people who build their companies based on, you know, what are the top 10 largest markets or what are the top 10 growing markets? Right. You know, so the, the classic Amazon, <coughs> Hey, like retail's interesting, but this internet thing, like it wasn't an e-commerce play. It was an internet play. He's like, Oh, the internet's going nuts. Like there's going to be a, an e-commerce person or a commerce retail person um, who wins in that market. Right. So you're looking at trends, but you're also looking at, um, you know, those inklings that you might have and then kind of like sanding down and then it comes down to a combination of, you know, all kinds of stuff, right? Like you, you know, there's some folks and, and I think I'm one of them. Like I don't, I can fall in love with any market, right? I can fall in love with every single market that's out there. Um, you know, I could be making shower curtains, right? And I would know <laughs> all, everything about shower curtains. I could tell you everything and everything about it. Um, but then I think that there's, you know, there's a ton of people who are more, um, you know, they're more like, well, I need to love it. Or I need to like it. Right. Um, and that's a constraint. And that doesn't mean you can't find a big market. You just might have to like, you know, find, uh, find a little bit of a, a more unique play on it, if that makes sense. Hmm. That's really interesting. Thanks for taking the time, Patrick. Uh, where, where can people go to learn more about your work and your company? Uh, yeah. So I'm just, just profile.com is, you know, we write a ton of content do a bunch of other fun stuff. Um, you know, and then, um, you know, I'm just Patrick Campbell on, um, on LinkedIn. So find me there. That's where I publish a lot of fun stuff, but if you ever have any other questions, you know, feel free to email me at Patrick at profile.com. Um, sometimes it takes a little bit for me to get back to you, but I always will get back to you. Amazing. Thank you very much.